Miss the show, no problem. On point and on this podcast, as we head into more never-ending restrictions, we'll talk about why schools should not be allowed to close and why the data backs that decision. We will also talk about the NHL, which will be making an announcement at any time about whether players are going to the Beijing games. Omicron, of course, is the main concern. You know, if an athlete gets COVID, they're going to have to quarantine in China for five weeks. Does that mean we're going to leave athletes behind in the care of China? Because that would just be the height of insanity. If ever we needed an excuse to get out of this games, I think Omicron has just handed that excuse to us. Ukraine says the situation with Russia has reached a dangerous, dangerous point and could change at any time in a blink of an eye. Vladimir Putin's made numerous demands on NATO that NATO can't bend on. So is this the excuse he's using to make his next move? Now, whatever happened to Carrot the Deer? Yes, a buck impaled with an arrow defies the odds and survives that, spreads cheer around the world, and now he's got his own little family, and one of those family members needs our help. We'll talk about Carrot and what needs to be done in just a second. Let's get talking. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. First, I must tell you that this situation is critical. With the increase of cases and hospitalization, we must put in place new measures. Starting at 5 p.m. today, we are closing bars, casinos, movie theaters, and performance venues. And so it begins. Quebec locking down, which can only signal Ontario won't be far behind. Alex Pearson with you on this Monday, December 20th, and here we go into the home stretch before everything shuts down for the Christmas holidays. But uh, it looks, if I'm a betting man, if I'm Kreskin, that uh, Omicron hysteria will shut us down anytime now because you can just feel more restrictions are coming. They just can't help themselves, clearly. And especially now that Quebec has, uh, you know, announced it's pulling the old circuit breaker which is a very politically cute way to say lockdown. So don't be, don't be fooled by that. It is political talk for lockdown. And with cases at the 4,500 mark in Quebec, they decided, okay, bars and gyms and concerts, movies, all of that stuff shuts down as of 5 o'clock today, but so do schools, at least until mid-January. And you've got sporting events that will play to empty stands. And, you know, we don't still know how severe Omicron is. We certainly know it is spreads very quickly. We know that 90% of Ontarians are double vaxxed and ICU units are good right now. They're actually quite good. But we also know that hysteria generally rules the day. So it is very hard to think that, you know, it's just a matter of time before the science table lights its hair on fire and then we get the same measures rolling out here in Ontario that we're seeing in Quebec. And, um, I was very excited because I had childcare all lined up for this week so I can get my work done. And then what happens this morning? Oh, the phone rings and she's sick. And so, of course, she's got to stay in bed. And so I'm getting this preview of what my January could look like if schools close down again. And so far, I have zero sanity. It has now been shredded because my kid has been bouncing off the walls all day. I just gave up and said, here, watch your iPad, anything, just let me get my stuff done. But I do speak for, I think, a lot of parents who are facing the exact same, you know, anxiety or concern and who have absolutely no idea how they're going to manage, you know, work and having the kids home 
if, in fact, we go back online, especially when we're two years into this thing and we know how badly it went the last time and now we're more tired and we've seen the damage that this does. So this is the big conversation on playgrounds. You talk to any parent around here, they are watching the cases rise and just dreading that it could close schools. And I think as parents, you know, we should do everything not to let this happen, which means you've got to speak up. Parents ask me all the time, what can I do? Speak up. Do something. Call your MPP. Let your voice be heard. You don't have to just march along with this. And a number of pediatricians are trying to get ahead of this. I guess they see what's coming. And they've laid out their case for keeping schools open. It's out in the Globe and Mail today. And they say no matter how high Omicron caseloads go, the schools need to stay open because they are seeing the destruction that these lockdown measures are causing to kids. And here's a guess. Guess what's not affecting them? Not the COVID. What these doctors are seeing are children who are disengaged, missing classes, falling behind, they're failing. Disadvantaged groups are the most affected. Hospital you know, for sick children is begging for more funding to get urgent needs for mental health services with a 55% increase in eating disorder admissions, a 30% increase in psychiatric admissions for things like suicide and depression. And you got to ask, are we okay with that as a society? Are we okay with that kind of collateral damage? Because I don't think we should be. And when the science table tells Premier Ford to follow Quebec's lead and close schools, which they will do, Ford needs to base his decision this time around on the data and not the emotion or the rhetoric. And Dr. Martha Fulford, who will come on with me a little bit later, she's a, a pediatric infectious disease doctor who is part of this particular editorial. And so she and her colleagues have been looking at the data of actual case spread in schools versus the actual threat to kids and society at large. And they find that while there is community spread of this virus, variant, uh, the schools don't need to close because in-person school attendance isn't actually a big driver of transmissions. So the headlines don't always tell you and certainly don't give you the context you need. You see an outbreak or a school shuts for outbreak, you think, oh my God, they must have 30 or 40 cases. No, it could be one or two positive tests. They cite a 2020 study that looked into COVID transmission in Vancouver schools and it found New cases among the school population mirrored that of the general population. And so when school cases uh, broke out, the number of identified secondary cases was actually very, very small, just 0.04% of those working in or going to school. So their findings were that staff members were more likely to bring the virus into the school compared to the students. They looked at a study out of Australia of 39 cases at schools and found the infected students and staff had thousands of contacts between them, but there were only 33 secondary positive cases. A study out of Mississippi, uh, Mississippi finds that uh, school attendance was not associated with positive test results, and instead it was a private gathering at homes or when visitors came into homes that caused kids to get the virus. What these doctors are actually pushing for is a test-to-stay strategy, which has proved very, very successful where it's been used. And they looked at a number of studies where it has been studied. In the Lancet Journal, they found daily testing of school-based contacts was the same as self-isolation for control of transmission. 
And so infection rates in schools were low, with very few schools, uh, the contacts actually testing positive. The CDC studied two high school testing programs where 60,000 kids were tested over six months and they were able to complete 95% of extracurricular activities. That's great. And they saved more than 100,000 days of in-person teaching, which is amazing. In Illinois, they looked at a study that test to stay allowed 1,035 students to remain in school with only 16 contacts infected and no further in-school spread. So that's pretty good data. That tells us a lot. That we're not getting huge community spread in classrooms, in schools, and the kids aren't getting really sick. And so the strategy of the science table will be entirely predictable knee-jerk shutdowns of schools. And then it will be echoed by the predictable noisemakers who don't seem bothered by the data we're starting to see on the kids suffering. And what we hope, or what we should be asking the Premier to do, is tune out the noise and balance kids' mental health and education loss with the actual threat of COVID. We have paid billions of dollars for rapid tests. And I don't know if you remember this, but back in the fall, the Premier and Education Minister both said expanded testing would be used to reduce school disruptions. So where is it? Where's the conversation? Why aren't we hearing about this? Parents shouldn't have to worry all holiday, neither should the kids, of if schools will be open. Why do we always turn to the automatic school closures? If all schools aren't getting cases, then we have to and should be using this strategy. We shouldn't be allowing or okay or even comfortable with any schools closing down, especially now that kids are getting vaxxed. And if vaccines are our ticket out of this, and that is what we have been told, and kids aren't getting sick, and ICU numbers remain in control, as they are now, then we should be doing everything we can to keep kids in their desks. And if you're a parent concerned about that, you can keep your kid at home. And if you're a teacher who doesn't want to teach, call in sick, take leave now. But instead of doing lock it, Blake, you know, lockdowns that hurt every kid, we need to be finding every which way possible to make sure that as many kids as possible are behind their desks exactly where they want to be in the new year. So for once, please make a decision based on data, because it's reading loud and clear. Question is, will the NHL send players to the Beijing games? Not likely. Of course, we're seeing all sorts of cancellation and lost games being announced hourly over the uh, case of this uh, new variant. And so, of course, there's concern over the spread of Omicron to players once they get to China and then having to sit out of more season games uh, due to quarantine. And uh, this newest variant, I think, uh, gives us the very excuse we need to get out of this games. Not that we really need one. But I was reading, you know, athletes who get the virus in China have to stay in China for five weeks to quarantine. And so you got to wonder, like, what does that mean? Are we going to be leaving athletes in China for five weeks? Should they test positive? Does the IOC have a plan to protect these athletes? Because the last place I'm isolating is in China. Because you can just ask Peng Shui. I mean, no, you actually can't because she's being held hostage. But to me, it would be the height of insanity to think our athletes might get stuck in a Chinese-sanctioned quarantine. But uh, maybe Greg can explain it. Greg Brady joining me, host of Toronto Today. Hello there. 
It's great to be. By the way, I heard another rumor that you and I are starting uh, an online uh, education pod in January <laughs> together. They're going to take we your well. We should like. You, you've got a chapter on the Wii scandal. I've got a chapter on 80s fans. Like, we're just going to we're gonna go <laughs> curriculum by curriculum and, and see who signs up. There I, you I, go. You <laughs> might make some extra money out of it, to be honest. Private school. Well, you know, anything to keep them educated. I had them home today without care, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't do this again. Oh, my God, what's it going to be? Not, not many of us. No, not many of us can. And, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's weird. It's, I don't think this was a conversation a week ago, which is really odd that it wasn't. And, and same as you said, and I know you've had guests on, and, and our show has two talking about sort of the, you know, the moral uh, and the, the morality and the ethics of just of just going period and all these, oh, well, these mm-hmm. diplomatic boycotts mean nothing, nothing to anybody really at the end of the day. And, and the issue is the, you know, the safety of our athletes. But as you noted, the, the potential for, especially in the NHL, I, I don't think, I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to see a random, uh, you know, long track speed skater stuck in China for an extra mm-hmm. five weeks so they can't get back to their family who can't even come and see them anyway. So when you're when you're we're talking alone, you're alone. But guys and men that are at the in the best league um, on the planet, not being able to fulfill their duties when they get back and, and still getting paid for it. That's a big problem. Well, it is. And you're familiar with how the IOC rulings are, are going to go. I mean, what is what is the protocol? Like if an athlete of ours gets a case there or test positive and maybe they don't have a case maybe the test just came back positive it's hard to think that we're going to allow china to quarantine our athletes given the threat they are to our national security and given what they've done to the michaels and 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 yeah it's hard it's hard to visualize but i i do think that's a reality i just don't know what diplomatic means we would have and it's not because we're canada it's not because attention i would think that's that for that's that for sweden finland norway whoever is going to these games is going to have that element of a problem. Um, and, and it's a lot more, I mean, we overuse the word draconian, but it's a lot more strict, clearly, than anything that transpired oh, in Japan. And you'd remember, too, in the summer. So they, de- they delay the, the Tokyo Olympics by a year. And to be honest, Tokyo and Japan in general was not in a very good place with, with cases, etc. They weren't highly vaccinated. They were probably around where South Africa was. When we were talking about South Africa five weeks ago, about between 25 and 28 percent Japanese people were and we were closer to 65 and 70. And we were sending over almost exclusively fully vaccinated athletes. It wasn't a requirement, but almost everybody got the shot or both shots, I should say, one way or the other. But the idea was, is that you almost similar to what sports leagues are considering now, you got to sit out and, and then get bring back that negative test and you're good to go again. China's got no such tolerance for this and one positive test. And you'll be out from competing in the games because it's only a two week, it's only a two week set of games, and and there's just no way. I mean, there's still Alex, there's still like these these COVID zero loons, and we had those. Hey, listen, we had those in Canada. We know that you and I and all well, our listeners know. We, we still we had, do have we those had some those COVID zero loons, but the, even even nine months ago could eradicate the virus, and that looks about as crazy as any theory I can come across in the last twenty two months. Yeah, but we don't even get reporting of cases out of China. As far as we're concerned, there are no cases in China and they've just moved on with life, which, you know, there's there's a lot of um, Mm -hmm. information not getting out. But I can't even imagine uh, the thought of one of our athletes being detained in China on their rules on uh, given just the state of the world today. I think that I mean, is that part of the reasoning why the NHL wouldn't go or is and they're just not saying the other thing is. 
if a whole bunch of teams start pulling out or countries pull out because of, of this virus, you know who's going to end up paying the price is this tennis star who, you know, China would like mm-hmm. to to lead us to believe that she's okay. We know she's not. They're marching her out under guard and making her say stuff. But, I mean, she'll probably pay the consequences. No, it's really terrible. I mean, look, you, you, you've, I'm not sure any show in Canada has done the work you did on the two Michaels and, and has covered it as often and as thoroughly uh, as you had with the guests you've had on and your own expertise. But imagine if we saw a video from Michael Kovrig eight months ago and he's like, oh, hey, I'm just out shopping and everything's cool and I just want everybody to know I'm okay. Nobody would, be- nobody would believe that. None no. of this, nobody would, would think. Oh, okay. He's boy. We really misunderstood the situation there. He just uh, he just d- decided to read a book for a few days. No, so we're not going to believe that with any of the athletes either. And you know that's it. I think you I think you isolated this. Is that Omicron could be the escape hatch to get out of these games? But then what do we do? I used the word reframing before. What do we do to reframe the conversation about going at all? What do we do with like the United States? Uh, you know, Clay Travis is a bit of a controversial guy in the United States. But he had the idea uh, to say, you know, for, for Joe Biden to step up and say, we'll host the games. And, and, but he had to say it a year ago. We'll host. We're going to host, an, an, yes. a, you know, a, a pseudo Olympics. And if you want to come to our Olympics instead of China, you're more than welcome. We can do it in Salt Lake. We can do it. We've got the facilities already built, not unlike Vancouver, where a lot of those facilities are still in pristine condition. But, Alex, it's going to take like this is in Afghanistan in 1980. This is going to take. Um, a big hitter, a, a USA, a Germany, a UK, um, we know it's not going to be Russia, to say we're not going because of Omicron fears. And then I actually think the dominoes, I think there's probably a 25% chance these games don't happen on time. And it was like one, two weeks ago. That's how much it's changing so quickly. Yeah, it's interesting. I've only got about 40 seconds left. Um, so is this, this, this means if the NHL pulls out, all, it'll affect every country because there's people from all over, there's all sorts of different countries playing in the NHL. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing. Sweden, Finland, Canada, their teams will be decimated. Uh, Russia still has some very good players. Russia won the Olympics in they'll South be at Korea war with Ukraine, in, 20, so in 2018. And yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Russia won in South Korea when we didn't send NHL players, and they'd probably win again. They've got the best league. And, you know, Putin's fingerprints are all over that league. So those players are still going in Russia. But, yeah, we'd send amateur players. And, and let's face it, we'd send our best women, and that will create conversations of equality as well. Well, is it just about money? Well, yeah, it kind of is. But we're not sending our best men, but we're sending our best women. What is that? And there will be a lot of talk about that. And I, I expect this to happen within the next 72 hours, I think, the NHL. I think they have to postpone the schedule for the time being and reframe cases and isolation and all that god we got to do that with everything schools healthcare, everything so if, if sports leagues are the first to do it i think we all follow suit stay tuned lots of news to come in the next uh, couple of days and we will be on it greg very much appreciate your time anytime alex thank you that is mr greg brady who you can listen to host of uh, toronto today starting 5 30 in the morning so he will be all over that like tomato sauce on a noodle so we got to keep our eye on this thing because the United States has said they've got about a four-week window to stave off a war with Russia, which has got about 175,000 troops amassed on Ukraine's eastern border. Russia's ready to go, and of course, it's using NATO as a justification to launch an attack. Putin has been uh, Putin has been arguing that NATO troops doing exercises near Ukraine's border poses a direct threat to Russia. And in the last couple of days, I was reading that uh, Putin's made a number of demands, including a ban on sending U.S. and Russian warships and aircraft to areas where they can strike each other's territory. He also wants a halt 
to all NATO military drills near Russia. And that is not something that uh, any NATO country is probably going to agree to because, well, they just can't. Meanwhile, you've got Ukrainian officials say we are now at a very dangerous point and Russia could actually move in a blink of an eye at any time. Marcus Kolga joining us now. He's a senior fellow at McDonald Laurier Institute, also founder of Disinfo Watch, but an expert on all things Russia, Eastern Europe and Asia. Good to have you, Marcus. Thanks for having me on, Alex. So it is a good thing that you watch this stuff, because I always check in with you and I say, what's going on today? What do we need to talk about today? Because, you know, no one's watching this, certainly not in this country, um, because everyone is so distracted by COVID. But this thing is is edging closer. And and what struck me was these demands on NATO that Russia seems to be making. Yeah, they're uh, they're quite serious. So last uh, Thursday, Friday, uh, Russian officials met with American officials and basically presented uh, two lists of demands, one for the U.S. and one for NATO. Um, you know, they list all the things that you mentioned, but perhaps even more worryingly for uh, our NATO allies in Eastern and Central Europe is this demand that NATO remove all military hardware and personnel from those countries. And basically what they're trying to do is turn the uh, clock on European security back to May of 1997. This is before any of the new NATO members were admitted into the uh, transatlantic alliance. Um, And basically what this sets up for Vladimir Putin is uh, sort of a a neo-Soviet style control over that region. And that's, you know, that's been his aim. We've talked about this for years about what his ambitions and goals are. That's been the number one goal that he's had other than staying in power. And so these demands uh, completely align with that, uh, those ambitions that he has. And it puts uh, a number of nations at risk, never mind Ukraine, um, who's basically mm-hmm. staring down the barrel of a gun. And uh, what Vladimir Putin is essentially doing is, is holding that gun, I mean, 190,000 guns, essentially, to Ukraine and list, pulling out these demands and saying, if you don't, uh, accept these demands, we're going to shoot. That's the situation. And it's not just Ukraine that's at risk. It, like I said, it's the entire Central and Eastern European region that, that's, that's at risk. And it's a very serious moment right now uh, in European and, and I think transatlantic uh, security geopolitics in general. Well, yeah, I mean, because um, Russia and China, I think it's fair to say they both know that, um, you know, we have our eyes off the prize right now. We are so consumed with all things COVID and all the other distractions, it doesn't seem like anyone's paying attention. So, you know, hell, if Russia goes, maybe China, China will say, you know what, no time like the present to go and uh, take over Taiwan, which, of course, is not on anyone's uh, radar either. So there's these huge geopolitical threats yeah. that are going on right now. And the West is kind of like, everyone vaxxed? I mean, yeah. now's the perfect time to move. Well, you're absolutely right. China is keeping a very, very close eye on what is going on and how the West specifically reacts to Russia. So far, um, I have to be honest with you, Alice, we're losing. We keep on giving, and we have been giving concessions uh, to to Vladimir Putin over the past two weeks. Um, You know, there's been this talk about the U.S. working with just a handful of NATO allies, uh, the U.K., Germany, France, Italy, for some reason, among them, to talk to Russia about the future of NATO. 
Uh, this is exactly what Vladimir Putin wants. There's also a report out that uh, Joe Biden has told his Ukrainian counterpart, President Zelensky, that Ukraine needs to be prepared to give up some of its territory that's being occupied by Russian uh, separatist terrorists uh, since around 2014. These sorts of concessions, mm. when we sort of we give uh, Vladimir Putin some of, you know, an, an, inch, an inch, essentially, he takes miles and he takes miles. So um, every time we give him yeah. something that emboldens him, it, it, he feeds on that and he asks for more. So every time we give him something, we can expect that that Putin will, will not stop there. Um, yet for some reason, we keep on running into this trap where we we try to negotiate with Putin. We seem to we think that we've come to an agreement, uh, but Vladimir Putin uh, continues on with his you know, with his aggressive sort of behavior. Um, and there's no there's no reason to believe that that's going to change now. So we need to be aware of that. And what we need to be doing is imposing significant costs right now, not down the road, not saying that if you do this, we're going to do it. We need to impose sanctions now to show him that we mean business. Um, you know, and if we can stop... But we don't, Marcus. We've got a prime minister who has no care on foreign policy, none. It's not even a mention on his radar, and I don't think he'll make a decision either which way. And so it really is going to come down to the United States taking the lead on this. And yeah. They're in a lot of chaos, too. And, and again, I mean, we heard Biden mention, um, you know, very steep, um, um, you know, sanctions that they will put against their banks, against oil, et cetera, like that. Yeah. But again, Russia doesn't seem too deterred uh, so far. Well, no, they don't. And there's a good reason for it. We've, we've never imposed real costs on his behavior. Um, you know, he took Crimea. You know, we said, well, you better not do that again because, you know, we'll, we'll impose sanctions. And we did impose some sanctions. He, his uh, uh, hardware that he provided to these separatist uh, terrorists in eastern Ukraine shot down a commercial airliner. Did we do anything after that? Not really. So there have mm. never been yeah. any consequences. And, you know, you brought up China. China is watching this. And as you mentioned, yeah, I mean, they've, they've been saber rattling with regards to Taiwan. You know, there have been hundreds of of flights into uh, into the Taiwanese air defense zones. Um, there, there's been all sorts of other threatening behavior. Um, and you can be sure that if there are no consequences for Vladimir Putin's behavior right now, then why would China stop with Taiwan? If there's no consequences, if there's no costs, then, uh, then you know, I think that the, the threat that, that Taiwan faces is, is all that much greater. And, you know, there could be some serious problems in, in that region in the, in the coming year if we don't stand up to Putin right now uh, in Europe. Yeah, I mean, Stephen Harper, um, you know, certainly took a stand, uh, you know, basically told him to his face, get out of Crimea. But he's not the prime minister anymore. And so we have a much different uh, leader in charge right now who has no interest in, in uh, you know, I think, standing up to any country. Um, and so you've been watching this for a long time. Two weeks ago, we've talked about this. Your thought was, well, you know, not sure which way it'll go. Where are you standing now as far as uh, where you think this is going to go in the next couple of weeks? Well, you know, it's hard to predict. But, you know, again, there have been no real consequences that have been imposed on Putin. I suspect that, um, you know, right now, the way that the things look, I suspect that within the next uh, month or two, um, his forces, I mean, they're already in Donbass, this this contested, quote unquote, contested area of eastern Ukraine. Um, there were photos last week that were posted with Russian tanks yeah. in that yeah. region. Now, they may not have had Russian insignia, but these separatists aren't building tanks. They're getting them from somewhere. 
So we know that Russia is already in that area. I suspect that he will try to take that area. If there is no consequence for taking that, I think he's going to step further in the south and just keep going. Yeah, crazy times. Nonetheless, we'll keep watching it, or you will keep watching it and keep letting me know, and we'll uh, see where this one takes us. Marcus, very much appreciate your time. I do not know if I'll be talking to you before the Christmas holiday, uh, but have a merry one, and thanks for all you do for us. Yeah, anytime, and and, uh, happy holidays to you and all the listeners, Alex. Yeah, buckled down, locking up, and seeing what the world uh, brings our way. No question, big challenges in 2022. Thanks, Marcus. Anytime, Alex. That's Marcus Cole joining us. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that, but uh, we'll see how it unfolds. Could be an interesting next couple of weeks. This is one of those stories that times out perfectly, I think, for this time of year, because he captured hearts around the world last Christmas after surviving the impossible. He had an arrow that had been shot through his head. And somehow, Carrot the deer survived. And a lot of you have asked me, you know, whatever happened to Carrot? And if you don't know his story, uh, Carrot was this little buck who was impaled by an arrow and who faced certain death if the arrow was removed or maybe not removed. And he was found by a local couple up in the Kenora area who cared for him and who were trying to find him help with the big concern that if the arrow was removed, it would be fatal to the animal. And then suddenly, without warning, staff from Ontario's Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry decided that they were going to go ahead with a very delicate procedure, and they tranquilized Carrot and removed the arrow. But then he disappeared after this, and most thought, oh God, he's died. But no, no. Carrot came back a few days later, and he found the couple who cared for him, and all was happy. Well, now Carrot has his own little family, but sadly his offspring named Christmas has a badly broken leg, And now the same woman who saved Carrot is hoping to save this little fawn. Leanne Carver is a wildlife photographer. She's got the dream job, and uh, she is a big reason Carrot is alive. She joins us now. Good to have you, Leanne. Hi, Alex. How are you? Well, it's, you know, Leanne, if there's one story I am asked about more than any other, it's whatever happened to Carrot. And so when I reached out to you last week, I thought, you know, I better check on Carrot and see how he's doing, because I I thought, and we always get bad news. And boy, what an update you gave me. He's doing great. Yeah, Carrot's thriving. He's a little peace bringer wherever he goes. He he hasn't (laughs) stopped spreading his magic. He's got a big fan base that hasn't waned an iota. And uh, he's he's touched hearts, and he continues to do that. And mine, too, every single time. It never gets tired. Yeah. I mean, he he was, it was such a stop and go last year of like, will he survive? Because he really, I mean, he he defied all odds and his story ended up making it around the world. And you and your husband, Alex, you managed to love him back to, to, to life. And he now greets everyone in the wild. He's still wild, but now he's got his own family. He does. He has, uh, I know it's hard for people to imagine this, but he has triplets with a doe that we call Mama. (laughs) And uh, unfortunately, one of those triplets right now has uh, an injury. I know you opened it saying uh, it has a broken leg, but we don't have a vet that's assessed it yet to confirm that. There is an injury, though. Okay. What, what happened? Was this fawn hit by a car? Was it a birth? How, what, what kind of injury? How was it sustained? No, it wasn't from birth. The fawn was fine. I don't know how the injury occurred. Nobody Jeez. does. 
either which way, when you get a horse or a cow or a deer, certainly with their their little delicate legs, I mean, um, almost like an arrow through the head. It is almost a death sentence of certainty if they don't get that um, if they don't get that fixed. Um, this little deer, Christmas. Um, won't be able to live in the wild, but you guys are caring for him now. Is it her or him? Uh, it's a little girl. Little um, girl named Christmas. Okay. You know, deer on three legs can thrive. I just want to make sure you know that, though. They are susceptible to prey. They just can't get along as they ought to. Um, so she requires care. Uh, unfortunately, we live in... I shouldn't say unfortunately. I, I live in one of the best... <laughs> The world. I know you uh, live in God's country. What are you talking yeah, about? Right in the heart of the boreal forest. Unfortunately, we yeah. don't have a sanctuary here, though. So there's nowhere to take injured animals in this community. Uh, the closest place is about a three-day drive down towards where you are, and that's perilous. That's a perilous trip for a deer who suffers from capture myopathy. The trip alone would likely kill her. Uh, there is a sanctuary about you know two hours from here that is willing to take her and care for her and give her that protection she needs. Um, And that's the whole purpose of my speaking out right now is to try to get her to that sanctuary. And so you have set up a GoFundMe because, as I understand, Christmas is in your care now. She's kind of nestled up in in some straw. Is is Carrot taking care of, of him or her? Karen's been over uh, watching over Christmas from time to time. They're not always together. Karen has other things to do and other people to visit, you know. Um, mm. And she also leaves. There's nothing restraining her. They're free will. You know, they wow. are wild. But she does come. She happens to be here right now, as a matter of fact. Amazing. And so the goal that you are trying to do is to get Christmas into the sanctuary. She won't be able to go back into the wild, but clearly get her vet care to fix her leg, and then she can kind of spend her days hanging out and uh, living out her life in a pretty dreamy situation. Well, the primary goal right now is just to get her safe, you know, and the vet assessments can come later if there's anything that can be done. If there's nothing that can be done, she'd be in the right place to live out the rest of her life with, with very much freedom and affection and love. And what does it take then to save her? You know, I know it's it's quite expensive. You have set, uh, set up a GoFundMe for Christmas, and um, I, I think people are very interested. Last I checked, it was around $5,000, correct? Yeah, I'd asked for $5,000 because in Ontario, uh, if, I, if you don't mind, I'd just like to mention the Aspen Valley Wildlife Sanctuary, which is the largest wildlife sanctuary in Ontario. Uh, most sanctuaries have been shut down. Because of lack mm-hmm. of funding, the government doesn't give funding to wildlife sanctuaries, so they rely solely on the public donor. So in order for this sanctuary to care for Christmas, he needs help to take care of her. And so I had spoken about the $5,000 um, because I knew that was enough to care for her for a long time if she never got any, um, if she wasn't able to have a, 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 her injury repaired. And, and so what's was, the time? That was raised in nine hours. Yeah, I bet. Well, yeah. I'm glad because people people will dig deep, um, you know, to help wildlife. Yeah, the, um, mon- it, you know, the money's there. I, we just need the authorization to get her there. And so, what does that what does that entail? That entails uh, approval from the Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry. Hey guys, what are you doing? Get on it, um, because I, I have to think, Leanne, that time time you know time matters. Uh, time does matter. She's completely open for prey, as I said. That's probably her greatest threat right now. It's just that she doesn't have anything to protect her. She can't run. Even a, even a loose dog is a, is a peril to her. 
Jeez. So does she just kind of... She's very, she's doing very well. She's got a strong will to live. There is no reason to end her life. Um, you know, I, 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 I need to digress for a second. I've come across a lot of deer in my life who do need a different sort of mercy. I mean, there's just no fixing, yeah. you know. Um, but she, she, she's actually doing really well. I don't know how you do it. Like how I know that you know you're a wildlife photographer, so you must come across some amazing moments, some heartbreaking moments, um, you know, defying moments. And I just think, how do you not get so attached to these animals? It must be very difficult for you not to be able to go out and stand in front of her and make sure that no one comes around her. But uh, nature is nature, and and sadly, you got to kind of. I do get attached. Every single animal I've ever met, they bring an absolute healing to the human spirit. And that's not, you know, just for me. That's for everybody who comes across animals. Everybody has a story to tell, no matter where they go in the world, that they saw a whale or they saw something. And it stays there for life. Um, So I do get attached. Um, Would I like to help her? You bet. Would I like to put her in my own vehicle and get her to the factory (laughs) in a heartbeat? I'm just not allowed to do that. So I'm Jeez. I'm being on cooperation, and I hope that comes through for her. Yeah, I really do too. Because I mean, I don't need to tell you, um, uh, carrot uh, captured headlines around the world. I mean, sh- sh- <laughs> this deer uh, defied the absolute um, beyond, and, and literally has uh, touched so many lives that that many people ask me about this animal. Uh, tells me that uh, in in such tough times like we are in right now takes just a little bit of magic, you know, and, and people, it really does uplift spirits. It absolutely is magic. I want to say that Carrot was the first deer ever to be saved here, ever. And I'm hoping that wow. Christmas will be the second. So here's the saving Christmas. I no hope. kidding. Well, literally saving Christmas. And so what, what information can we give out to uh, people? Because uh, that way they can go check out the pictures of her. She's very cute. She's very little. Uh, but what what, uh, like what do you want people to know? Um, well, Carrot's page is on Facebook, and people can join there. I'm trying to do updates as, as much as I can, but it's very time-consuming. It's not an easy road. I'm sure you can understand, and I do my best to make sure people are, uh, are you know, informed about what's going on. So they can follow Carrot's page, and they can find Christmas there as well. And oh, I believe boy. there's a petition somebody started um, to encourage uh you know, the authorization of getting her to the sanctuary. So people can do that as well. They can sign that petition, and that would be really helpful. Yeah, and do, do they understand, does, does the ministry understand um, the, the time constraints that you're under? No, I'm not going to speak for the ministry. I think that, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not in the well, nonetheless... Yeah. No, but they, they uh, certainly they can't ignore these headlines. So hopefully they'll get the bureaucracy kind of out of the way and uh, make this, uh, you know, ex- expedite this uh, little journey. Well, Leanne, sure thank you so much. Well, Alex. Those are yeah. words or music to my ears. Yeah, I mean, last Christmas we spoke and we weren't sure what would happen with Carrot and that had such a happy ending. And so I'm hoping that the same thing happens with um, Christmas. But I, I really appreciate you uh, joining me and giving me the update and um, let's see what we can do before uh, Santa Claus arrives on the uh, on Christmas Eve. I appreciate you having me and and giving uh, a voice to Christmas. No way, you're, you're my you're one of my. F- go ahead. Be the magic. That's the yeah. There slope. you go. Be the magic. Yeah. 
Well, we could all use a little happy news these days. So I appreciate your time. I'll follow up with you and see what happens um, with uh, Christmas over the next couple of days. And let's keep our fingers crossed because I know that you and uh, and uh, Alex do an awful lot of work to make sure these animals are cared for and, uh, and have a lot of compassion. So thanks very much. I look forward to hearing from you again. Until then, happy holidays, okay? Absolutely. Fingers and crossed. Everybody out there. Appreciate it. That. That is Leanne Carver, and in my next life, I'm going to see if she and her husband can adopt me because they live in God. Like, they just, what a magical life, going out and taking pictures of animals and seeing the wildlife and all the rest of it, but um, obviously doing a lot of good. So if you want to check it out, go to uh, GoFundMe, and if you search Saving Christmas, the fawn with a broken leg, they've already started to... uh, Get some donations in, and you can certainly kind of see his story and start following along. There's also this Facebook page that you can go check out Carrot's Facebook page, and uh, hopefully the ministry can kind of get the paperwork done so that the animal can, you know, get out of threat's way, and and we can move him into the sanctuary, and then that way Leanne and her husband don't have to be all stressed out this Christmas and can make sure that this little animal gets the help she needs. So it's a happy, kind of sad story, but so far it's happy. Let's keep it that way. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us Monday through Friday starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson on Point, and this is Global News Radio.